I've been raving for weeks about the possibilities in short films. And today, I'm joined by a guy whose short films I've been eating up lately. He's Dylan A. Young, and this is Slasher Sports Cinema. And I'm here to kill you. I am Dracula. Say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for? If not for shedding. Six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's I said, girls, did you know I'm utterly insane? Dylan Young, welcome. How's it going? Who'd you steal all those DVDs from behind you? Um, lots of different people in Facebook Blu-ray groups, lots of trades. The old school way. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I also live on the same block as a used book and movie store. <clears throat> so that's been like super cool. That helps. You know, we don't have anything like that here. Oh, that um, sucks. Yeah, it, it does suck. Uh, the, the closest thing we have to it is a still under operation Captain Video. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. You should check out yeah. uh, McKay's if you're ever down in Nashville, though. That place is wild. Where is it? Um, McKay's is down in Nashville. It's, uh, it's not far past downtown area, but it's like a giant, like warehouse used book and movie music, like all this stuff. But it's just like going into like the Kroger size building. It's like two stories and there's so much stuff. Like it's hard to leave without like having a handful of stuff. Well, you're dragging me to the wrong place, man, because I will walk out of there with two handfuls, man. They've got I, one in Knoxville and one in Chattanooga, too. Knoxville. This isn't... I just recently promised somebody that I was going to be taking a road trip to Knoxville to their store. Grindhouse. It might be. Probably. That place is awesome. Who, who has that place? Um, Man, I, it, it used to be in Tampa, Florida, and I want to say the owner's name is Mike. <sighs> You see, wrong, there, there's a mutual that we have, and yeah. they they either run or own or just operate some kind of movie store in Knoxville. Well, there's Grindhouse Video, and then um, there's uh, another one, uh, and some of the guys that work at Grindhouse Video run this other one. Um, it's some some company where they make VHSs. I feel like that's the guys, though. They're cool. I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to go back into my mentions or something and, and find that. I make that these is. promises, and you know, I, I right. always, I always come through. I, I will say, I will always come through. It might be the day before that I'm realizing shit. I <laughs> do that because right. I've got to go see um, Adam Freeman and, yeah. and and his people about uh, deadly dealings. Uh, they're going to be doing some kind of something in Manchester, Tennessee. Okay. And, like yeah, that's, maybe, 
Maybe okay. it might be just like, uh, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know where it fits in the timeline of the release of Deadly Dealings, but they might be doing maybe some pre-order stuff. Cool. And I know that himself and maybe a couple of uh, of the co-stars, I don't know if Jessup Flux is going to be there. Um, I'm not going to promise anything because I'm, I know I'm going to say the wrong names. But right, I know right. that I know that I reached out to somebody and I said, I'm going to be there. I'll, I'll just, you know, make the hour drive because Manchester's not that far. It's not right. as far as I thought it was. It's probably a good hour and 15 away from Nashville. And I'm about 30 north of Nashville. So, yeah, I, I can make it. Knoxville's a little bit more of a drive, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of movies and weird, I guess, productions. This is a you know a film that we talked about that I just sat down to watch for the second time. Okay. And I'm and I'm no less I hate to use the word disappointed. <laughs> because anytime a, a film disappoints me, I always start to second guess myself and think maybe, you know, it the film might not have been for me. Right. You know, I I, I hate those don't waste your money, don't waste your time kind of people. Because who the fuck are you to tell me what I'm going to like because you didn't like it, right? Right. And I really don't listen to people say, you got to see this. That's probably something that's going to, you know, there's a running joke. Some old friends used to tell me, yeah, you need to watch this TV show. But now that I've mentioned it, I know you're not going to watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. Too cool for school, right? But what the fuck is going on with Skinamarink? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I saw it opening night in theaters. Mm. And um, as we got up to leave, my girlfriend and I were walking down the side aisle. And the first thing I heard somebody in the audience goes, I've seen worse. And to me, that like that sums it up. That's the best review I've seen so far. You know, I have seen worse movies. It also kind of acknowledges that it's not particularly a good movie. Well, okay, you've. That that's the best review that you could hear about, I guess, before you came on to today's show. Because I'm about to hit you with another. Yeah. Okay. This is from Adam. I don't know where the hell Adam's from, but a month ago, Adam reacted to the trailer. And he okay. said, Nice trailer. Instead of the typical modern trash trailers for horror movies, they mm-hmm. gave that cult classic 70s B horror film feel. It doesn't take a lot of money to make a good horror movie. Just a decent damn story. Now, just as long as it has an actual plot and isn't one of those stupid type of movies that don't make a damn bit of sense, (laughs) this might actually be a real gem. Optimistic Adam. Yes. One would just have to get over the weird name is all. If only, Adam. If only. (laughs) Right. Because Adam, in the very same month, comes right back and says movie sucked and was boring as shit and the filmmaker lied the doors haven't vanished nothing creepy happened in the movie the movie <laughs> will only scare pussies so, <laughs> so i'm glad you mentioned that about the review because i myself watched this the first time and told myself i, I kind of doubted myself and Oh, greetings to Dixie Gers. Dixie on my mind. You know Dixie, don't you? Oh, yeah. Dixie and I have worked on a couple of projects. I actually met Adam Freeman on her short film, Secrets of the Witch. This is all connected. Oh, it's yeah. All connected. 
I got caught up in a web here and I don't know how it happened, but I can't fight my way out. Yeah. And you know, we talked about this before we jumped on, but this, this whole, I guess, new relationship thing for me goes all the way back to that, that melon head, Ben Johnson and curse of the way deer. And there's uh, you know, there's Dixie, like it's a monster. <laughs> and, I, love yeah, I fucking love it. And right. you know, the fortune tellers situation reminds me of, um, well, not really reminds me that much of it, but I, I kind of harken back to a film from the eighties that I like, but I don't like to say that I liked it was called Teen Witch, and it was probably the second most important uh, film that had uh, Zelda Rubenstein. Zelda Rubenstein? Was that her first name? Rubenstein. The little short lady from Poltergeist. Yeah, from Poltergeist, yeah. Zelda Rubenstein, right? Yeah, and she passed like... Wasn't long. Well, time flies. Not long after those movies, right? Well, she was no. I think didn't the little girl die? Yes, Caroline. Yeah, okay, Car- Carol Ann. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Zelda Rubenstein was in uh, Teen Witch in the uh, maybe late eighties, maybe early nineties. It's one of those movies that's a guilty pleasure. Um, never in a million years would I tell the world that I like this movie. <laughs> but here we are. I think about the, uh, the the fortune teller, and I just I go back to that. And I'm like, man, you if you're gonna have a successful movie that has any kind of lore to it, you better have an all knowing oracle. And Dixie is that for the weird year cult, right? That or some like uh, stranger that warns everyone what's gonna happen. That walks into town by themselves without just aimlessly wandering, just shows right. up everywhere you're not supposed to be. <laughs> what's going on but you know listen back to skin of Marink, okay because i haven't given this film enough shit and <laughs> it, it's it's not fair of me because maybe art house films aren't for me and i'm just not you know up to snuff and thank you to my dear sister uh chris dana chris zelda died in 2010 cool so yeah that, that makes sense r.i.p to zelda but um Skin of a rink. Okay, so this was described, Dylan, as an atmospheric horror with a production quality that recalls a mix of creepy online found footage. Cool with that. I'm cool with found footage. Yeah. Would you say that that kind of sums it up? I don't know that it's, you know, I don't know that it's found footage. I think it's almost voyeuristic. Right. POV. There was like like a POV shot that moved right in the middle of the movie but mm-hmm. that was about as close as that got sure i i, I the second time around i tried yeah. to be like um okay uh, what what pov should i be looking at this in and i'm thinking well maybe it's the pov of the kids i think that that was the supposed intention i wonder if it was supposed to be a vr movie and they just didn't want to shell out for the vr effects so it was shot on eight millimeter film, actually. Sure was. You knew that, yeah. So it's interesting. Apparently, the director went to his childhood home to film it too. You know, damn, is this gonna? This is gonna be one of those midsummer moments where I watch a a movie that I didn't even like twice, 
for a third time, and then the third <laughs> time I'm going to come out loving it. That's you know, what's going to happen it's here? Got incredible reviews. I mean, tons of four stars, five stars by people who know, and I'm not one of them, Dylan. I'm lots not one of, of those people who knows. Yeah, it's interesting, um, but I would say overall, like it's an endurance test. I felt like I was being punked. You know, I, I was sitting through the theater just constantly thinking, like, is anything going to happen? Well, and this it's is like, the longest trailer ever. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, yeah, it's like if you're quiet for 15 minutes sitting in a room with me and then you start screaming all at once, it's going to make me jump probably. You know, it's like there's some really cheap jump scares in there. I don't think there's a such thing as a cheap jump scare, Dylan. I'm about to argue that in a moment. Hello to Carrie Brock checking in. Hey, it's What's Dylan up, Young. What do you know about Carrie Brock? You don't know her. I met Carrie on The Art of Killing. The Art of Killing, you say. Would um you uh you had a very important role. You were you were the sound master, master of sound. Am, I am I right? Was- yeah, I did sound for them. I want to say for eight days of production. So I wasn't there at the very beginning, and I haven't been there for the last two or three days of shooting, but I was there for like most of everything else. Man, I got nothing but time for that Art of Killing crew. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And Carrie says, and he did an amazing job. I don't know. I don't know. Remains to be seen. Remains to be heard. I I guess. See, you jumped out. (laughs) You jumped out ahead of me. I'm glad you said that. No, but yeah, I'm guaranteed, man. I I love those guys. They, it was one of the most, I came in. I don't, I don't want to say less prepared, but I really wanted to make that episode kind of a shoot from the hip kind of a situation. Right. I feel like when, when you, when you overscript things, you lose the feeling. And I, I really do want to convey, you know, I guess that the happiness that I am to be able to, or that I have to do this project, it's, it's definitely a, a labor of love. And, you know, I, I really transitioned from just reviewing, you know, big time Hollywood movies, you know, horror films always to indie film. And I, I think it's, more satisfying because I'm, you know, building relationships with these people that are going to last a lifetime. Right. Unless they kill me for a bad review. And that's okay too, because who wants to go out any other way? Right. I, I think in this I, business, you got to be prepared for a bad review every now and again. Well, you know, I'm familiar with bad reviews and uh, this podcast gets them week in, week out. But man, see, it's, it's just wild that. You know, everybody that I'm meeting just happens to already know each other. So I'm like late to the party, you right. know, that's a so good way to get introduced. Yeah. The best thing that I can do is just walk in and spike the punch and hope that, you know, it becomes a, you know, a, a, a fun, a, a fun thing to do like for, right. for years down the road. Right. Absolutely. But let's talk about real quick, Kyle Edward Bell. Okay. So they compared this to like some of David Lynch's lo-fi experimental work. Right. I'm wondering to myself, what did I miss by David Lynch that would ever compare to Skin of a Rink? I, I don't know. 
So I've seen David's earliest short films leading up to Racerhead. And it feels like if somebody were to make that comparison, they'd have to say, like, it feels like a David Lynch film if he was always pointing the camera in the opposite direction of whatever was happening. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I, I like that. Like, there's this intention throughout all of Skinamarink to not show anything. It's like, no matter what's going on, if anything's happening at all, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. I, I just wonder if at some point there's this thought that maybe what I'm supposed to feel isn't what's on screen. It's what I'm inferring to be around me. Yes. The whole thing was that it's supposed to make you feel like you're a kid again, walking down the hallway in the middle of the night, afraid that like something bad is going to happen or something might get you, which I think conceptually is awesome. It's a very cool concept. And that's why I was excited to see the movie. But, you know, it didn't pan out the way I'd hoped. Maybe the second view. You saw it? Wait, did you say you saw it already twice? No, I just saw it opening night. The one time. Okay, good, good, good. Well, I mean, this thing got, I guess, leaked, right? So uh, It went to Shudder. Say that again? It went to Shudder on the second. So, yeah, right. So, like, I guess there was a glitch on, like, one of the online film festival screenings. Oh. Um, that, yeah, that, that made the film able to be downloaded and it spread before it was ever released to you know schmucks like me right so it, like it went on like social media tiktok youtube both had it like before its official release Interesting. and and i just wonder like who thought enough of it <laughs> to to put it to i guess kill their algorithm on tiktok not it me made a million dollars in theaters it's insane and that's wild because that's something that I wanted to bring up mm -hmm. because it gets hammered on the group. Uh, I guess what you call it, the, uh, the, the social media um, chat boards. Like nobody I'm seeing likes this film. The second time I watched it, I warmed up a little bit to it. And I started thinking outside the box, which I normally don't do. I try to watch a film the first time as a fan. OK, because that's what it was meant for me to see it as. Right. Second time around, maybe I'll start being a little more analytical. Like, what's right. this person going for? What's the dialogue? Well, there ain't no dialogue. There's about 500 yeah. words in the whole film. And and again, that's OK. If I don't get it, it's maybe because I don't get it. Right. OK, yeah. that's Some not a big deal. Right. So Kyle Edward Bell, he did everything on this film, wrote, produced it, directed it. So what the only thing that I know that he did was a short film called Heck, which mm -hmm. did a little bit better of a job, in my opinion, of putting me into the shoes of the, the main characters. OK, I I spent probably half the film of Skinamarink thinking, am I hearing things? Keep in mind, I'm 40 years old. OK, my hearing's going. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not young like you, Dylan. OK, I, I have to. You know, I have to turn off the, the AC to make sure I can hear the TV. So <laughs> I thought maybe it was the neighbors talking. I couldn't tell. But the, 
I guess there's a reason they do these things and the art house type, the artsy films. And I guess if I'm starting to get it, I'm becoming a little artsy myself, but third time is going to tell the tale. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep you posted on that. Definitely. But I, I thought it was interesting that you saw it opening night, man. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm an AMC Stubbs member. It was playing at my AMC. So it's like, to me, it feels like I'm just going to a free movie. I saw that it had a cool poster and a cool synopsis and there was a bunch of hype. So I was like, let's go, let's do it. And uh, I apologized to my girlfriend afterwards for taking her with me. I guess you owe her another one. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how your relationship works. I'm not going to tell you how to navigate that. You're, you're, you're doing a better job than, than, than most. Right. So I did happen to see infinity pool. Nice. And yeah, so D David Cronenberg, or I'm sorry, Brandon uh, Cronenberg, of course, son of the famed director, David Cronenberg. Um, he directed this film and there's a lot of, there's a lot of comedy here because what was the film that, that David just released? Uh, not long ago, crimes of the future. Of the future. Right? Yeah. So infinity pool made more money in one week than crimes of the future did in its entire run in theaters. And the yeah. reason I bring that up is because David directed crimes of the future. Um, yeah. He was the father of Brandon who directed infinity pool outdoing right. the dad. How, how awkward our holiday meals going to be. That's so funny. Right. Yeah. I was so, just saying the other day, I'd love to see um, Brandon write a film for David to direct. I wonder how much would get through the filter of David, though. I just wonder, like, you know, son, you're not doing that right. Let me, well, let me show you. G give me the pen. Right. David's anti-sci-fi and his son's big on sci-fi. So it's kind of uh, it would be an interesting thing to see. But it kind of reminds me of when Lumberto Bava wrote Shock for his uh, father, Mario Bava. It was his last film. You know, when you have collaborations within family i just spoke to some very good friends who did a film called obstacle corpse okay and the obstacle corpse folks they are uh you know basically made this whole film a family affair it's uh written directed produced you know by a husband and wife combo uh, mad wolf shout out to the mad wolf crew and uh their son who played in the short film was a major character in the the feature cool and, and i always wonder what is that dynamic like when, when, when can you stop behaving like father and son or you know mother and son in this case and start behaving like you know professionals i don't know that i have that bone in my body i, mean, right. I see one of my kids you know screwing off in the corner and i'm like you know i'm, I'm dropping the director hat and i'm starting i'm becoming dad Right. right, And I, I can't take myself out of that, but I would, I would dig that Brandon and, and David collaborating. Cool. Yeah. So, so this film is the, uh, I guess the follow-up for Mia Goth from uh, Pearl. And I don't, I don't know that she's done anything since Pearl and, and nothing of note anyway. Um, if, if you've been living under a rock, Mia Goth is uh, from X Pearl, the upcoming Maxine 
uh, all three from Ty West in the same trilogy there. And of course, the remake of Suspiria that happened, uh, well, it was a number of years ago now. Again, time flies. Uh, right. Classic Argento flick, which was... Now, that one was directed by Luca... Guadagnino. Thank you. Gosh. Thank you. I've, I've struggled with his last name for so long. But yeah, Luca... I could have said it wrong. But yeah, but Luca... Listen, you said it twice as good as I would have said it. <laughs> it's, it's not going to come out like that. Um is you know I, I do speak spanish okay like fluently like native native level but their names are sounds, a thing. It, it's a whole other monster man because they you only say it the way that you say it so, absolutely and it's important to me to get names correct so right. yeah he he directed that film bones and all and yeah. i skipped over that one should i have have you seen that one uh it was my favorite of last year actually you rat bastard tell me about it <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Mark Rylance is like so creepy in that movie. And it's just like got a great score, great locations. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's wild. It's just, uh, you know, I could see it not being for everybody, but it was definitely my favorite of last year. I'm not going to say it's not for me because I haven't given it the fair chance. Right. Um, But, you know, like there comes a time when I have to draw a line. Okay. And where films lose me is when they start getting a little too romantic. I'm not into romance. I'd say, you know, it it is a romance film equally as it is a horror film, I would say. They're both very, very fundamental to the film, but a lot of it is just like surrounding a lot of like family trauma, really. Okay, and and this is uh, for I guess horror intents and purposes. Um, what is their disposition? They're not vampiric. They're not zombies. What, what are they? Yeah. What's, so, the, what, what's the deal? Uh, you know, heavily pushed in the trailer. There's this whole thing about like eaters, and you know, like how you don't eat an eater, and all this stuff, and like really, like in the film, they're they're cannibals, but it's not as much of like a fantasy s kind of thing as I was expecting based on the trailer outside of the thing that like some of them are able to smell each other. So that was the main kind of like fantasy kind of element from my perspective going into the movie. But I just thought it was like a wild ride. I'm a sucker for an adventure film and it's totally like a road adventure. We're traveling across state to state kind of thing. <sighs> Gosh, well, I mean, I guess I'm gonna have to do it. <laughs> You'll have to. I don't like know. to give in. Yeah, right. I, I will. I don't like giving in. Once I've made a decision on, like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. If if I can right. watch, if I have two hours for this, I have two hours for something that has caught my eye. Right. There's too many but, movies. Yeah, there's far too many, and like so many unheralded. Like why, you know, give my attention to, you know, a big release from a big studio and yeah. when I can give my attention to, you know, indie filmmakers, but I understand I'll, that I'll do sure. it for you. I'll do it. <laughs> Not for them, for you. Okay. <clears throat> so Alexander Skarsgård. All right. So Al Skarsgård was in uh Tarzan, Godzilla versus Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, he doesn't have like any issue doing like risque type roles. I mean, he was in true blood and that got yeah. pretty, Right? Did you yeah. see the Northman? I've not seen the Northman because I, 
second favorite movie of last year. Gosh, man. See, I'm I'm a schmuck because like I rule out anything if it's not horror. And I I, I don't know why I do that. I mean, I'll sit down and I'll you know grab a, a classic like you know Steve Martin's The Jerk. Right, because it's I, something I, such a big part of culture. Absolutely. And you know, I you know how at the end of the year Spotify will give you your your wrapped like yeah. tell you what music you listen to the most during the year. If yeah. if streaming services did the same thing, my number one film of the year would probably have been The Jerk. Nice. I watched it probably five or six times during the year. And if you like wrapped thing, <clears throat> um Letterboxd does a year wrap. So that's a, a fun feature that I look forward to. Really? Yeah, so yeah. That, if you you log all your stuff, it tells you directors you watch the most of, genres, what country you're watching movies from. It's fun. I, you know, I've considered putting one of those together, and you should. And it's just, so much fun. And, and caving. Okay. I mean, I mean, I feel like it's going to be one of those dissertations where I have to like put in my whole review of a film and. I don't review films on it at all. I just, I'll put a, a heart if I liked it just to remember that I might want to rewatch it one day. Aside from that, I might put a movie quote and I don't put reviews. I don't put star ratings or nothing. It's mostly just for me to remember what I watched. Damn it. I did not drag you onto this podcast to be putting <laughs> me on. Like there are now three things that I'm bound to sign up for. You got to yeah, can you just stop talking for a minute? Because <laughs> my list is getting too long now. Now I have to watch Bones and All. Right, back to Infinity Pool. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I have to watch uh, Northman now, and now I've got to sign up for fucking Letterboxd. But, I mean, okay. Al Skarsgård was in True Blood. All right, yep. I, I don't know if that was on like uh, HBO, Showtime. It was one of those two. I think but, it was Showtime. It feels like it might have been. It's something that I never subscribed to, so I never got to finish the series. But yeah, Greg, listen, Greg Brock, Dylan's very persuasive. Yeah, yeah I, I'm about to end this thing because I'm <laughs> like putting together too many promises. But listen, I mean, I think Bob Pattinson was uh, offered the lead role in Infinity Pool. Oh. He, yeah, he passed on it. Thank you, Dixie. Ed, Dixie says it was on HBO. So, of course it was. I mean, nice. why wouldn't it be the opposite of what I said? But, yeah, Bob Pattinson was, you know, offered the lead role. He passed on it. And, listen, far be it from me, Dylan, to turn down a role where Mia Goth uh, is going to sneak up behind you and give you that five-finger discount, you know, you know where you know, it makes you go number three in the sand. God. That's if that's too too much code, then you know I'm gonna have to digress. But this is a family well, show. Question is that's such a weird movie and such a weird role. And Robert Pattinson said specifically he wants weird roles. He turned down um, Robert Eggers' movie script that he was trying to get made before The Lighthouse that never got made because he said it wasn't weird enough for him. So I'm like, was Infinity Pool not weird enough for him? Apparently, apparently there's an NC-17 cut that um, the only played at, Sundance. At, yeah, was it Sundance? Okay, I, yeah. I, I couldn't remember exactly where, but 
Man, I, I would venture to say that once the uh, the physical copies start dropping, that we're going to get that. That uh, is ha- that's what happened with Possessor, um, and it might have been one of those situations uh, where with Possessor there was like a 4K copy with the extended cut of the film, and it was a limited edition thing. So it might be something to like you know if you're particularly interested in seeing that cut to be like ready for it to sell out. Well, I remember the, uh, no spoilers here, but the, I mean, I guess it's kind of a spoiler, but the, the scene where Mia Goth sneaks up on Al Skarsgård and you know, gives him a handy while he's away from his wife. And then there's a scene where, or I, I guess a shot where, um, you know, the, the, the number three drops on, onto the, onto the ground. There was an audible <laughs> from everybody in the theater did and, you see it in a large, uh, like a like a full screening? Uh, no, no. It, it right. was just yeah, just like a standard standard view, I guess. Right. Um, because you like you've got the AMC, you know. Yeah. I, I've got the same thing going on with the Regal, okay, which I'm cool. kind of afraid of because they're going bankrupt. So yeah. I don't know how long that's going to run. Right, but we don't have anything else nearby. I, mean, I live in a one-horse town. One AMC in all of Louisville, Kentucky. It's crazy. There's there's one and only one. Yeah. Is is there not like a Regal? Is there not anything? There's else? a Regal across the bridge. Um, there's there might be another Regal in in Louisville, but the AMC deals a lot better. And uh, yeah, the the other closest AMC is two hours away. Mm, Jesus, I mean, what what's happening to 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 movie theaters, man? Not making enough money. It's like yeah. the ones that are around, they're not renovating. I don't know how they're not making enough money. The popcorn's eight dollars a, a bucket. <laughs> so that, that that that's my only complaint. I, I I do hope that in ten years we're not talking about movie theaters the way we talk about drive-in movies right now. Yeah, I you know I think at the very least we're always going to have like independently owned like revival houses with like you know one or two screens or something. But I feel like we will probably see chain cineplexes fall at some point. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't wish anybody's downfall and I don't mind chains going away as long as we have somewhere to, you know, watch on the big screen. I'm right. actually five minutes from one of, if not the only driving theater in Kentucky. Oh, nice. And, yeah, man. And I keep having this recurring dream that I buy that son of a bitch and just make it great. But you and know, that's not one that has like a zoo attached to it or something. Cause I heard about something like that when uh COVID hit that they opened like a drive in theater slash zoo thing somewhere in Kentucky. Well, um, no, there's not a zoo, but I mean, it, I, I guess on any Saturday night, if you go there <laughs> and see the people who go there, then. You know, you we're, we're talking. Yeah, we're talking Southern Kentucky here, Daddy. Right. You, you ain't. You're not talking about. You know, I, I don't know. These aren't California girls. These are, right. you know, those girls with the summer teeth. You know, some are there and some aren't. So, listen. I the last thing that that I do want to talk about not not the last thing but the the film that I just saw. Uh oh, what the hell you say? Franklin Drive In sold today and it's closing. No, you're. You're fucking lying. Damn. Man, okay. How never mind. I'm, I'm not even gonna 
in. Yeah, you you never know. I, right. I, I don't know. Oh God, that that's that's a major bummer. Major right. bummer. You gotta start an indie game. Um, I guess so. I mean, right. and that's my sister, by the way, and she that's says fervently, is. not lying. Uh oh. Well, now I believe it. And Dixie says there's one in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. That's not even a real place. No, I'm I'm sorry. That's uh, that's Greg. That's Greg. Um, Greg, you're you're lying. I don't believe you. That's not a real place, Mount Sterling. But you know, I just saw um, Knock at the Cabin. Nice. No, that's that's one you hadn't seen yet. This is probably, you know, there's always one film at the top where it's just your your most anticipated film. Mm-hmm. For me. Um, that was it. Sean Milan's knock at the cabin and hey, Brazil's in the house with Gabriela Marins. Muito obrigado pela torcida. And knock at the cabin and not Shyamalan. Listen, I'm here to tell you right now. Dave Bautista is nobody's fool. Okay. He is a good actor. Yeah. He is an, he's a legitimate actor. He's not just, you know, the, the old WWF, WWE body guys who didn't right. have anything between the years, right? And this dude is actually coming on, putting on some performances. And I think maybe the best that he's done, if anything comes out elite from Knock at the Cabin, it's not going to be Shyamalan having his best film. It's not going to be um, the, the most, cr- the craziest twist at the end or anything like that that he's known for dave batista is the guy and he gets my money every time i'm not gonna see him in guardians of the galaxy though that's not not my thing but he did a fantastic job here i'm not a marvel guy man at all i'm i'm not a superhero guy period yeah mostly to horror anyways right say that again mostly to horror films right yeah, I do. I, I do. But like, I really like I'll sit down and watch a good murder mystery. I, I'll love a good whodunit. You know, that right. doesn't have to be horror related. I love Glass Onion. I love the um, the Hercule Poirot films that uh, Kenneth Branagh did, um, you know, Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express. Um, actually, the original Death on the Nile is one of my top five favorite films ever. Oh, nice. But Oh, yes, sir. I could go on about that film all day long. And I'm just like recently doing a rewatch with a, a friend. I love introducing people to films they haven't seen. Agreed. And Death on the Nile is just one of those that has that elite cast. Because first you got Peter Ustinov, who not really anybody from our generation is going to know him. But he's my favorite Poirot. But other than that, you've got Angela Lansbury, uh, you know, Murder, She Wrote fame. You got Betty Davis. You know, with Betty Davis's eyes, um, you've got Olivia Hussey, who did, you know, Romeo and Juliet, Black Christmas. She was an it at the beginning of it. But you know, listen, that's she was a hammer of the gods back in the day and probably still is. But who else you got? You got Maggie Smith of Harry Potter fame. You've got uh, Simon McCorkendale. And that guy plays the best dork I've ever seen in my life. But the story was elite. And I'm not even talking about like the goddess herself, Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow is in this film. She plays a crazy bitch to the the level of, I guess, perfection that one would expect when you have a name 
like you know an iconic Mia Farrow. Like she got that reputation for films like Rosemary's Baby and Death on the Nile. So you go back and see the origin of what made them elite, and this is just the epitome of it. Right, and it's just a, a really fun whodunit, you know. But again, back to uh, uh, knock at the cabin. Like as a you know, like with, with the movie old, mm-hmm. um, Shyamalan filmed knock the cabin on 35 millimeter and uh you know it was supposed to have that 90s classic thriller look and i don't always pick up on things like that until i read it i mean you as a filmmaker i mean obviously you could probably point it out a lot quicker than i could um like what films are doing that lately can you think of any yeah so i mean we're definitely seeing a revival in people shooting on film, everything from stuff like skin of a ring being shot on eight millimeter to people like Christopher Nolan shooting on like 70 IMAX film and stuff like that. So um, from what I'm seeing, it's the, the people that are considered like the, the current like greats of filmmaking are shooting on film because they can. And um you know, uh, we've also got some people that are like becoming really big in cinema, like uh, Jordan Peele. He's shooting on film, um, but the Ty West thing, is uh, as well, I believe. Absolutely, the main thing is like a lot of indie people are getting into it, and it's like a lot of them can't afford to shoot on thirty-five. But I feel like you know, there's people like Joe Bagos who just keeps making like all these awesome sixteen millimeter like grindhousey horror films, and like. It's, it's a really cool revival to see, and I love seeing films shot on film. I, I would do it if it didn't cost me any extra money, you know what I mean? But um, I have I've planned films to be shot on film and ended up not being able to, and I definitely have some scripts that I intend to shoot on film one day. Well, I wonder where the revival started. The first time I started noticing was with the actual grindhouse double feature yeah yeah planet terror and death proof yeah i think especially with planet terror yeah on the on the um smaller end of big budget movies that's where it really like started pushing heavily but also like i think uh christopher nolan was a big push for this in like the batman trilogy when they were shooting on like giant imax cameras and stuff so sure. I think like, you know, a lot of those have been driving forces, but it's like, you know, film's always been here. And while it's like dwindled off really hard, you've always had people that like really appreciate it and use it any chance that they can. You know, part of me thinks that maybe we got just a little bit too good at making film and we just got too good at making things look like you're not staring at a TV. You're staring at somebody in front of you because it can't get any clearer. Right. So uh, when I think about films that I don't want to be as sharp as possible, Mm -hmm. horror has to be at the forefront because you you don't want to see somebody pulling the strings. You don't want to see the imperfections in the practical effects because Mm -hmm. you can't put the rabbit back in the hat once it's out. Yeah, that's like uh, one of the big uh, cool things about shot on video, like VHS movies, you know, it's like I got myself a old uh, Panasonic Omni movie so I can shoot on VHS tapes. And I definitely plan on making some, you know, 
practical effects score heavy piece at some point where I can lean into the fact that the footage doesn't look crystal clear and that makes it look scarier. I'm glad you said score. Quick question. Rapid fire. No explanations. John Carpenter, movies or music? Movies. Mm. I think currently I'd rather, I think, you know, right now he's excelling with his music, but like I could never give up. They live village of the damned. You know, it's, there's just too many great movies that he made to say music. I'll accept that. Better calm down, Greg. Calm down. All right. Well, you know, that it's one of those things that came up recently uh, in, in conversation. Like yeah. I, I made a post. Uh, it was on, on social media somewhere. I don't know where I said it, but I said um, like John Carpenter's music is better than John Carpenter's movies and John Carpenter's movies are elite. And I, may, maybe I'm talking out my ass, but I, I really like them. His scores are incredible. You know, it's like they're very so simple. Yeah, absolutely. The re the reason that this came up, I was talking to somebody after watching the movie Megan. Yeah, Megan's a fun little flick. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and let anybody tarnish the good goddamn name of Megan. It's but a great movie. It, it, it's it's a fun little flick, but there's absolutely. a certain part. It's a certain part when she starts really meaning business, okay? Mm -hmm. And she's walking down that corridor, the music hits, and like she's just stepping to the drum beats, right? And I said, Man, that sounds like a carpenter riff, I guess you could say. I don't know if I'm using the right word there. I'm not a music guy. Riff tone? I don't I don't know what you could you could say riff there though. That it's works. Not, Melody. Yeah. I like re a riff. I yeah, I almost say beat because I'm you know, it sounds like too Kanye. I wanna <laughs> make it to make it right so yeah man uh the three movies that we've talked about i don't think you miss with any of them if you can really wrap your head around them i shit on skin and rink but i'm just having fun with it i think for the people the film was made for it's probably a home run yeah and i hope you enjoyed the hell out of it so because i didn't but back to uh, uh, knock on the cabin Knock at the Cabin. It's based on a 2018 novel, The Cabin at the End of the World. I'm not a reader, bro. I'm not a reader at all. Um, but it doesn't stick to the book's events. And okay. that should be a good a good thing for readers. You, you're getting a, a little bit different of a story. And you, know, you don't get Dave Batista in the books either. So you got to watch this. So you're originally from Southern Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Currently in Louisville. Yep. Uh, is, is there like a strong film community in, in your area? Um, so there's definitely a group of filmmakers and film crew people in Louisville. And uh, we were lucky enough at the beginning of last year, they passed a film tax incentive program here. So there's been a lot more activity in the area, a lot more shoots coming to town. Uh, we currently have Ethan Hawke in town making a movie right now. And Badass. I've got friends working on that one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there'll be like local screenings or film group meetups, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, 
I definitely see uh, little like uh, film and horror communities in a lot of these places that I'll go work like, you know, Nashville or Knoxville and stuff like that. It's cool seeing these like uh, small film communities. So this incentive that you talked about, is this the, the same thing that they had going on in like Western Canada for a while? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oldenburg would do all the time. Yeah, it's okay. similar. Okay, good deal. So I was talking to Steve Merlo. Uh, you might know Steve Merlo. He's uh, he's the guy that just did the fan film of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre called... Um, yeah, we've the, messaged the, on Facebook a little bit. Yeah, man, the, the, the guy's a badass. He's a great guy. He was on the podcast when we were audio only, so you didn't get to see his handsome face. But he did the... Um, the the Sawyer massacre almost said yeah. the, the Hewitt massacre the the Sawyer massacre which just won um pretty big award for best fan film over okay. some pretty pretty damn good fan films nice. so I mean like Steve's a Steve's killing it can't wait to see what he does in the future man but who'd you link up with when you first got into film I know you started around high school yeah so back in high school shout out William Smith known as Will Smith at the time, buddy of mine. He would make um, movies shot on, I think, DV a lot of the time. Um, and it was uh, super fun. He would just, like, have us come out and act. His friends would come and do stuff. We, we were playing in a band together, and, you know, I just got my start in acting. But it wasn't until, like, years later that uh, a friend of mine, Charlie Steeds, invited me out to come work on a film called Death Ranch death ranch so that was that kicked it off yeah death ranch kicked it off basically uh i was studying to be a tattoo apprentice and i got in a car accident that like hurt my back so i knew i couldn't like make a career out of like bending over and tattooing people every day for the rest of my life sure. and so i wrote a short like a i wrote a feature film script while i was like down and out and like staying at home a lot and recovering but i didn't know what to do with it so uh I ended up starting videonasties.com um, as a merchandise website with officially licensed merch uh, for horror films. And I linked up with Charlie Steeds, London filmmaker, and did a collection for the House of Violent Desire. And we ended up just chatting on Facebook and realized we had a bunch of common interests. And eventually he was like, hey, I'm coming to America to make a movie. And I was like, no way. Like, where at? And he said Nashville. Ended up being Hendersonville, Tennessee. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I have aspirations to make films one day and I'd love to like watch you direct because I think you're a good director. And I was like, you know, do you mind if I visit set for a while? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And it came down to it. And he was like, can you stay all three weeks and I'll teach you how to run sound? So he put me up in a hotel. I learned how to run sound for movies. I did the sound for Death Ranch and we had a blast. It was like my like like uh, film school. Essentially, I learned a lot on that film. Let that be a lesson to you, internet personalities. Ugh, I don't like people. I'm such an introvert. Listen, go be an introvert on your own time. Network, network, network. It's the name of the game. Am I wrong, Dylan? Tell them I'm too mad. It's incredibly important. Um, it's funny. I had a friend of mine recently saying that, like, you know, I'm the most extroverted introvert he knows. And I thought that, that was really interesting because there's definitely times where I feel like I need to be alone and I don't want to like necessarily like deal with being around people or like the overwhelm that it can bring me. But like, yeah, that's really important. Like 
I um, fund a lot of my films by working on other films. And if I don't meet other filmmakers, no one hires me to work on films. And then I don't get to make my own films. It is so easy to be that way. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dixie chimes in extroverted introvert. Listen, it takes flipping the switch. Okay. It's not like, you know, introverted people want to go out and, and do these things, but there's a a necessity, a a necessary evil in networking. And like Zig Ziglar said it best, nothing happens until somebody sells somebody something. And you have to sell yourself and your skills. And your, if you don't have the skills, your, your aptitude, your willingness to, to, to get those skills. And you did that. And there's no better example of how to make it work than what you just said. Like, I didn't want to do it, but you know what? I was in a position where I could sit down, pen something out. Basically, you did the same thing Bruce Lee did. He was he was laid up, couldn't walk, he, and then he just decided to write the towel of Jeet Kune Do. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's what you did, Dylan, okay? And, and it kicked off what you got going on now, and I'm really happy for you. Thank you. You said... It. Of course, you, you said, I think genuinely impacting people's emotions through fear allows people to, in their head, revisit your film more. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so that was in an interview that I did uh, as a part of the Knoxville Horror Film Festival last year. And I think that, you know, there's there's times where you can impact people's emotions in movies, And it's those most emotional scenes from a movie that you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life. Whether the movie terrified you or broke you down crying, when you think of the movie, those are going to be the first things that come to mind. Those are going to be the first things that you're thinking about. And you're probably going to remember movies that impact your emotions more than any other movies. So I think like, you know, if I've ever got a point that I want to make through a film, I want to make somebody really uncomfortable. So they think about how uncomfortable they are, why they're that uncomfortable and what my intention was with it. And then also continues to make them uncomfortable after the movie and makes them think about the movie. There's nothing that I detest more than reading the, uh, the online chat groups and someone refers to a horror film as fun. Oh gosh, it was such a fun film. I loved it. It was so fun. It's not supposed to be fun. It's supposed it, the, the 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 negative reactions to the films that I'm seeing like make me want to see that film more because you're not supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. If you know if if you don't want to see a man's mouth sewed to another guy's asshole, then don't watch The Human Centipede. Had a friend, a very very good friend, who was trying to tell me and she was not a horror fan at all. Okay. She's the after school special types. And she was telling me, you know what? I want to see this movie. Um, I think it's called the human caterpillar. And when you talk about losing my shit, I lost my shit. Because (laughs) like even, even the, even the innocent are coming in and saying, you know what? That's a fucked up movie. I kind of want to see it. People that wouldn't <laughs> normally sit down and watch, you know, a Friday the 13th with you, but they do want to see the human centipede. And that's, I mean, that's, that's how, you know, you've done something and yeah, that's really uncomfortable at its finest. Right. It's like a lot of these films, um, 
you know, a lot of shock cinema has always garnered uh, more popularity because people's intrigue, you know, it's like maybe somebody's not going to be interested in uh, Friday the 13th part 17, but they heard about this new, cool, crazy thing that's blowing people's minds. And it's like, maybe they'd seen a slasher film before and they didn't like it, but they've never seen some dude's mouth sewn to another dude's ass, you know? And it's like, that's where people are like, Hmm, well, maybe, maybe that is right for me. And you're like, but why? Well, they haven't seen it before. You know, I'll try anything once, right? That was the, the, the that's the old saying. So give it a, a shot. You know, right. Well, you know, I think you may know, uh, we, we may have another common friend in Ben Schatzel. Do you know Ben? Yeah, I met Ben on a day of uh, Curse of the Were-Deer. He came and did some acting. Class act. Okay. I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have even asked. I should have just known. I should have just dropped the name. Well, he's a big fan of the uh, the Saw franchise. Okay. Okay. And I used to be of the of the school of thought that eh, the first three were good. The first one was great. The rest of them were, were shit. Until Ben smartened me up a little bit. And now, I mean, I, I've done so many binges of this franchise that it's not funny. There's a... There, there's a, a school of thought that says, well, this is only, you know, gore porn. This is just, uh, you know, poorly written gore fest, whatever. No, you sit down and you analyze these films one more time. Just do me that favor. And there is some excellent writing in that franchise. Yeah. I went from absolutely not being cool with Costas Mandalore. And now, like, I can't see the franchise without him. I don't need Jigsaw in all these films. Costas Mandalore is the fucking guy. And there was a, the, the film where I do lose track on, on which, which installment of the, the franchise it is, but the one where basically he gets away by putting himself in that glass tomb and mm -hmm. the guy's like, I know it's you. And then the walls start coming in. That is the most shocked I've been in the entire franchise up, you know, unless you count the the I guess the twist, the, 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 end, the twist in the first one, right? Because nobody, I guarantee, nobody saw that happening, right? But like, you think Costas Mandalore is about to get caught? Okay, the guy's been on his ass, and he's like the main event, right? This detective is the main guy, and he he gets down and he sees him. I know it's you. You're not Jigsaw, and then those walls start coming in. It's like, man, th they'll kill anybody. Right. They'll kill any fucking body. Now, what I did, Dylan, was uh, I watched a few of your shorts. Okay. And um, that sounded like I washed a few of your shorts. Um, I viewed a few of your short films. And Veronica was, I want to say that's my favorite. It was the first one I saw. And it's my favorite because I've watched it three times now. And in this open, okay, I, I view short films in a way that I'm sure other people do as well, but I always take it as a few different ways that you can use a short film, whether it can be a proof of concept, it can be maybe the opening scene of a feature film down the road. It can be just, you know, um, 
a, a placeholder? Is it a standalone work? Is it a placeholder that we're going to use as a cold open in a future film as a proof of concept for funders? Um, if it's a cold open on a, on a future film, then what you did with Veronica in the opening scene here is you basically crafted a cold open for a cold open. And I think it was really effective. Okay. Thank and the, you. Yeah, yes, sir. And the, the open I'm talking about, just picture it guys. Girl walks alone to her car at night, already a, an uncomfortable thought, right? Because this is a reality for, you know, women walking everywhere in, in dark places in America. They're attacked every day, right? She gets into her, into her vehicle in the front seat. She turns on the car. The headlights are blinding the viewer. This is really important. The head, I don't know if you did that on purpose. I'm going to say you did. But, <laughs> but the headlights are blinding us as the viewer. We can't see Veronica herself in the vehicle. Nothing out of the ordinary happens here. But a few seconds later, a guy gets out of the back seat. We didn't hear a thud. We didn't hear a scream. Tell me about Veronica. What are you thinking making this film? Yeah, um, man, it's just like, I love like Last House on the Left, you know, it's like, I like a lot of these like great classic revenge films, but they are not for everyone. And no, I, I wanted to make something that was like a palatable, but really intense revenge film, essentially. And like, man, I feel like comfortable with having pulled it off for what it is. Like whenever you shared the thing yesterday with the link for Veronica uh, and just talking about like, watch the show live, my grandma shared it. And like one of her friends commented and was like, Ooh, good movie. Great twist. And I'm like, if, if, older women are enjoying this pretty intense horror short. I think I did. All right. I think you did a hell of a job and yeah. Shout out to grandma. Right. Oh, she's great, man. She drove me down to spooky empire for my first uh, film festival ever. Yeah. Cause I got uh, better safe than sorry. Accepted. Speaking of, uh, you know, the story behind better safe than sorry is, you know, I guess one we hear of that's, yeah, I guess far too often about, you know, abuses, whether they be sexual or not. Yep. Um, but this short tells tale of what happens when you have somebody on your side who, as the old saying goes, help you bury a body. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, when, when writing this story, what do you have to consider in terms of believability? I mean, you've got a lot of friends, I'm sure, Dylan, but a very small percentage of them guaranteed would help you bury the hypothetical body had you right. done something irreversible right so what's going on in your head when you want to make this thing believable yeah so like for real like there's no bond stronger than a mother's love they say you know and it's like if anybody's gonna go farther than anyone else that's the relationship that you're gonna find it in and you know the film goes through a lot of about like generational trauma and like going through the same experiences that you know that your kids are going to have to face, but you're not like sometimes willing to accept it or some people are unprepared to deal with those consequences. But yeah, sure. it was a really interesting script to write. Uh, I had actually uh, planned for my second film to make a fantasy horror film. And I drove down to Nashville to shoot it in Hendersonville. And I went to Walmart to grab food for the crew and cast and um that was the day that like covid panic had hit in the u.s 
So pretty much like everybody fell off the film. Um, basically, uh, by that end of that night, um, you know, understandably, there it was it was me, the cinematographer, um, and just like uh, an actress that had already come down from Louisville. I had paid for Airbnb. Another actress in Nashville that was prepared, and then my girlfriend was there to help too. So like that was all we had. So I called my friend Brad that was in Veronica and I said, Hey, you know, are you down to do something tomorrow? I've got this equipment I rented and I don't want to waste it. So I stayed up till like six in the morning, writing that script, woke up, finished writing it on my way to like go grab some props at like a costume shop and Walmart. And then like the scripts were sent to the actresses while they were driving to set. So there was no prep time. And like, I feel like they absolutely crushed it. Listen, they did crush it. I mean, that, (laughs) you know, there's, um, there's something to be said. I mean, that, I guess it's not technically improv, but with with that little bit of preparation, you could almost call it improv, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, honestly, like I um, am always like really specific with my scripts. And whenever I go into the script, a lot of the time I'll think about like, a different phrasing that a character could use and I'll like rewrite it two or three different times. And then once I give it to the actors, I'm like, learn the story. And if you portray the story, right, I don't have to correct you. You don't need to learn every word. You know, it's like, if the story's there and you're showing it to me, we're good. You know, not long ago, well, actually it was longer ago than it feels like. Um, I had a uh, Jim Burkett on the podcast back when we were, no, still audio. Uh, Jim Burkett did the film Coherence. Okay. And Coherence is um, like a lot of people probably wouldn't call it horror. Um, I would maybe say that it's fantasy horror, maybe a little sci-fi. Oh. Um, it's definitely strange and unusual. And yeah. this is a hub for the strange and unusual. So he's more than welcome on again for Shatterbelt. Come talk to oh. me, Jim. But the film that he did coherence was improv and basically all he had was one mole, one mole in the, uh, in the cast who would kind of keep everybody lassoed in when they got a little too far out there, he would give bullet points and say, just get after it, get from point A to point B, however you want to get there. Just don't go crazy because the budget's limited and and I'll, I'll trust the mole to, to keep everything safe. So, I mean, even if you didn't do that, I think, you know, what you did with Veronica was fun because you, you couldn't tell that there was any stammering. There was, I mean, it was a well done film and, you know, so bravo to you and the cast, but you know what? Better safe than sorry. Let me say one thing about that. You know, people will often go further than you think they will based off of where they are pushed okay when, yeah. when they feel like the um you know their backs against the wall and they're just in a in an unwinnable situation may as well just make it happen and live with the consequences right there was a i don't know if you would call it a documentary it was almost like a social experiment on uh, netflix and the, it was called the push i don't know if you saw the push i basically seen it so you didn't see it. I'll, I'll give the, the premise here. Basically, there is, you know, you got like temp services, right? Job services where 
temps. We need a bartender for a party. So we're going to go through the temp service. We'll get a, you know, a licensed bartender and off we go. Uh-oh, I think we lost him. Let me see how to get my guy back in. Well, he left us, so I'm going to get him this. Oh. Man, I'm I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Dylan. My story was boring. <laughs> but but it wasn't that damn boring. No, listen, well, welcome back. Um, I don't know which part you heard there, but the push is about basically a guy who shows up to what he believes is, I think it's like a, a, a party for um, some donors to a cause. We'll just say, you know, maybe like the March of Dimes or something has, you know, huge donors are going to throw a party for them, maybe a gala fundraiser, some kind of situation. So the temporary associate knows nothing. Everybody else are actors. And what happens is the largest donor for this cause has a heart attack before the party starts. And so the, I guess the, the host of the party makes the, uh, the temporary worker help them hide the body. At least just for now, just so we can get our, you know, our, our patrons sat down. The, the 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 party can go off without a hitch. Well, before you know it, the temp guys, you know, helping hide a body in a box. And then, you know, oh, there's people coming to the back room. We got to get rid of this box. We got to hide it somewhere. Before you know it, the temp guy is helping hide a body in a box somewhere else. So they're not only hiding a body, they're they're basically moving, which is also another felony, um, you know, the, the, the corpse of, you know, the, this, this dead guy. Things escalate, decisions get made, and before you know it, the guy's actually alive, and now we have to pretend that we didn't know that he was dead, so how do we do that? We push him off the ledge, because if we don't push him, he's going to talk, and we have to... We have to cover our own asses. And the big question is, do you push or do you not push? And whether it happened or not, they showed a few scenarios and some people pushed. Some people right. pushed this guy off the ledge. So well, what happened? Yeah. What, what happened in showing up for work turns into like a would be murder. Yeah, it's like you got to be careful of those situations. It's like that's like the the worst case scenario of what starts as like here at our job, we're a family. You know what I mean? It's like that stuff where people are like, you know, oh, well, if we treat we act like we care about our workers, they'll do anything for us. You know, and it's yeah. like, now nah, get out of here. They'll get you to put up with a whole lot of bad shit. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of shit that should not be happening because, well, they're family, so I have to, yeah. right? So I'll go back and, I guess, contradict myself. You might have more friends that will help you hide a body <laughs> than you realize you do. You just got to yeah. coerce them a little bit. Yeah, you just got to give them the push. You just got to give them the push. Tell me about Stolen Thunder Pictures. Oh, um, basically... I just needed to start a production company. I wanted a name that sounded catchy. Um, The name that kept coming to mind was Rolling Thunder Pictures, which was like a DVD 
release distributor that Tarantino ran for a minute based on the film Rolling Thunder. And I just thought Stolen Thunder Pictures was really catchy and sounded cool, and I went with it. But, well, uh, I mean, so we stole the, the the name basically, and you know, yes, Stolen Thunder. I like it. I like oh, it. Yeah. See, I'm, yeah. So, like the the kids' revenge. Okay, let's talk about the kids' revenge for a moment. You you shot this film back in uh, I guess late twenty twenty two. Uh, yeah, we shot it like very end of September, very beginning of October. And, um, so you won an award in, in Knoxville at the Grindhouse Grindout. And yeah, this was like the top prize, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a contest. Uh, basically I had a short film, Good Morning, and that got into the film festival. So I wanted to go attend. And then I saw that they were doing a contest um, kind of like reminiscent of the Grindhouse trailers from the Tarantino Rodriguez release. And it was yeah, like, yeah. you know, everybody shows up in person. You draw straws essentially and do a draft style to see what genre you get. I uh, got last pick, but I still managed to get Spaghetti Western, which made me really happy. And uh, yeah, man, it was such a cool experience. We had two weeks to turn in the final product. And then they screened them all on a drive-in screen. And uh, there was like an award ceremony and everything at this uh, small uh, central cinema theater in Knoxville, which like that place is awesome. Check it out if you're ever in the area. I never go to Knoxville. I now have like five reasons to go to Knoxville now. Oh, yeah. I'm going to Knoxville soon. They're doing the Valentine's Day bash uh, from the Knoxville Horror Film Festival. They're playing Bride of Chucky in May. Jesus. Well, speaking of Valentine's Day, I'll be posted up with Vada Kalisto um, on February 13th. Should be released. Well, actually, we're going to go live on February 13th, but the podcast, the audio pod is going to be out on February 14th. So happy Valentine's Day. Listen, man, Spaghetti Western, I wouldn't pick anybody else to do it. I love a good Spaghetti Western, though. I mean, we're talking about like the, uh, the old like Sukiyaki Western Django and shit man we we kind of grew up you know in this area on westerns you know uh, fucking gun smoke and i don't know if you would consider bonanza a, a western it's more of a yeah yes. i guess so yeah yeah there, there you go yeah it's like a, a it's a mix or at least a hybrid of gun smoke and a little house on the prairie because it's a little too yeah. whole just a little too wholesome i want to see my bad guys like being really bad like on gun smoke the right <laughs> But, you know, even uh, though, oh, yeah, dude, I mean, as a kid, like, there was nothing more important than seeing, like, the the opening montage of your favorite TV shows. I'm talking about Gunsmoke. I'm talking about Simon and Simon, the A-Team, Magnum P.I. Like, they were elite openings, and I don't think they do them like that anymore. No. If I was, yeah, if, if I was a, if I had any talent in me whatsoever, and I just somehow landed a TV show that opening with an elite theme song would be a must. Nothing would be written before that was written. But I digress. Listen, your first attempt at a feature uh, was something in the woods. OK, you, you yeah. turned that into a short. So tell me about your I guess the about face that you had to do uh, with something in the woods once COVID hit. Yeah, so it was like 
basically there was just like a half-assed plan to like shoot the movie throughout COVID and it just didn't work out. Like between not having funding and people's availability and it got to the point where it was like, it was like a year and a half later. And I was like, "Mm, these characters, like the actors don't look the same anymore. So I can't continue this movie. So I just like rewatched all the footage because basically like it was just kind of like one was just like, a throwaway kind of like death sequence just to like put like as maybe like a cold open or something. And then the yeah. other was supposed to be a completely unrelated scene where we shot this stuff about like this couple going out on a hike and doing a picnic and all this stuff. And it was supposed to lead into one of the characters being important and finding the main group of people who were never shot at the end of the movie and it being this climactic meetup point. But, uh, but yeah, so I just like watched that footage and I was like, how can I, kind of like make it seem like we shot this to connect and like to be like one scene where like these people are somehow involved with each other. And I feel like I was like barely able to pull that off. I have a lot of fun watching your films, Dylan. I I think you've got a lot going for you. I think there's going to be a lot more to see from you. And I, I really do hope that, you know, we don't have another worldwide pandemic to slow you down. Right. Now, one question I do have for you before we get out of here. All right. So allow me to preface. Now, I've talked about this with other with other people is actually the uh, the art of killing guys. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a big pro wrestling fan uh, from back in the day. Okay, And a lot of the things that I do feels philosophically come from the pro wrestling mentality. I'm not going to try to get over myself until I put my friends over and. Back in the day, there was a wrestler named uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, and he's from uh, the, the 90s. He's you know, pretty worldwide known now. But back in the uh, the territories when he was first coming up, he used to ride in a car with a guy named Dr. Tom Pritchard. And Stone Cold Steve Austin's name at the time was Stunning Steve Austin. And in an attempt to get Steve Austin to show a little more personality Dr. Tom posed him with a question. He said, what's so stunning about Steve Austin? This is more of a, I I guess, a, you know, something to think about, you know, just like when you go out there, ask yourself, what's so stunning about Steve Austin? And then maybe one day you'll start pretending, you know, believing that you are stunning, right? My question to you in terms of being a filmmaker and your calling card and how people are going to know you, what's so Dylan Young about Dylan Young? Hmm. That's an interesting question that I feel like the answer could be approached from many different angles, but I think like, you know, the important thing to go forward with my filmmaking is just like being authentic to myself and like making sure that I continue to like, make things that represent the way that like I see the world and like express opinions that are important to me and not get lost in just like uh, making movies just to make movies or just to make money. Mm. Before we slide into the gag reels, you want to tell everybody where they can find you on your socials? Yeah, man. Um, I'm not really on Twitter, but on Instagram and on Facebook, it's just Dylan A. Young. Um, we've got a YouTube for, for Stolen Thunder Pictures, um, Dylan A. Young on Vimeo, Dylan A. Young on Letterboxd. 
Um, and uh, check out www.videonastiesnastys.com to check out my merch. And shout out to Fright Bites. If you're ever in Louisville, Kentucky, come get some spooky food. All these links are going to be in the episode description to this episode. So we're going to go ahead and ride into the sunset. Dylan, I want to thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, very much appreciative of you coming on. I hope we can do it again. If we ever do any of these uh, these film roundtables like we did with Halloween Ends, you are invited 1,000%. I hope you can make it. Absolutely. Now, listeners, this has been Slasher Sports Cinema for Dylan A. Young. I am Billy Graves. Now go forth. And may you drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children. Dylan, I appreciate it.